Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. Man, I know it's been a little while. Uh, the season's been pretty busy. You know, I've been out kind <clears> of <throat> getting my garden ready and kind of enjoying the, uh, the the days of spring, the kind of uh, previews of spring we've had so far. <laughs> Sounds like you're you're being productive um, rather than you know what I'm doing, man. Where I'm just doing nothing around the house, just trying to clean a little bit here and there, but like nothing, enough. I'm not doing anything. It, it feels so weird. You know, I'm so eager for, for good weather to be consistent. So start tackling those projects, man. Yeah, dude. You know what I'm looking forward to? I mean, I, I'm seeing all the, uh, all the flowers start coming out to bloom. I see the trees are starting to bloom. My, my pear trees actually started blooming. I am so excited for this growing season. Um, you know, just there, we're going to get so many, well, I'm hoping to get a lot of berries, apples. I'm hoping to experiment with, you know, more brewing this year. Uh, so that'll be cool, but I know everybody's kind of looking, looking forward to that spring season, that good weather. Yeah, man, uh, definitely. Uh, for me, man, good weather means sitting outside on a, uh, about a bunch of breweries, uh, decks and, you know, picnic <laughs> tables and whatnot and drinking great beer uh, as well yeah. as some of my own right uh, i'm excited to see what ciders you uh you're able to produce uh, to produce out of your uh your vineyard or i don't know what you call it orchard orchard that's orchard yeah yep yep well speaking of alcohol man what are you drinking dude oh i am sipping on a founder's dirty bastard with a side of peanut butter whiskey dude you and those peanut butter whiskeys i think you're like the only person other than my brother-in-law that i know that like consistently <laughs> drinks um you know that Oh yeah, dude. On the ice, man. On on the rocks, like I think uh, peanut butter whiskey, like a good sheepdog or screwball or uh, oh, there was another one I really liked. But uh, yeah, it's it's a good it's a good kind of sipper, you know. If you're in the mood for something a little sweet, not too sweet, but you still want that kind of good whiskey kind of taste, I, I enjoy it, man. I, I did it one time. I mixed it with uh, kind of like a raspberry schnapps or something, raspberry liqueur and made like a peanut butter and jelly it was the weird one of the weirdest drinks ever i drank one but <laughs> i don't think i've drank very many of them yeah that seems a bit uh overwhelming uh to the senses <laughs> i'm uh, i'm i'm drinking some whiskey myself man i've got uh i went to this local there, there's this restaurant here that just opened up it's a sports bar i shouldn't call it a restaurant um there's so much more than that but they only serve local pittsburgh uh beers uh well pennsylvania beers and all the liquor is from their distillery they own a uh they have a distillery called big spring spirits uh just here in uh north of pennsylvania north north of pittsburgh geez man i can't talk i need to drink more whiskey um yeah so like they've got a few different types they have a rye and they have a wheat uh, i'm drinking the wheat right now did a little seven and seven with it um you know ginger ale and 
you know, change the color a little bit. Dude, it's uh it's pretty smooth, man. It's um um uh, you know, it's no I can't you know, I I compare everything to uh um oh man, now I'm blanking out our Vermont uh uh go to for whiskey. What is that? Whistle pig. Uh, yeah. Like I compare all the you know, uh, whiskeys to that. It's no, you know, whistle pig, but it is pretty dang smooth and it's, it's up there, man. It's, you know, not bad for 40 bucks a bottle or whatever it was, 50 bucks. Yeah, man. I'm excited to get back into traveling again this year so I can, uh, start to, you know, experience that a little bit more as well. I think those the micro distilleries that we're seeing pop up, I mean, micro breweries have been a thing for a while, but we're starting to see m- more of those micro distilleries popping up. And like I think I talked about this on a couple episodes ago, but I went to Brown County to Hard Truth Brewing and Distilling, and they had a fantastic first mash um, rye whiskey. They had a toasted coconut rum that literally tasted like like you're tasting the toasted coconut in in the rum. It's not even too hard. Like usually a lot of those have a pretty good afterbite or something, or the coconut will be too much. It was such a good balance, and it was crazy. You're starting to see that from more distilleries, like uh, the the craft, the art of it. It's just, it's so much fun, man, to go to go to those places and get to experience that. Yeah, I mean, it's always been one of my favorite part of traveling. Obviously, you know, traveling is such a burden, but there are a few things you get to look forward to. One is, um, you know, it used to be eating at new places. I'm kind of over that now, but now trying new beers, trying new alcohols. You know, seeing new sites and meeting new people is always the the highlight of the trip. Um, So, dude, that mango cart that you introduced me to uh, is still one of my favorite beers at this point. I had not tasted anything like that until I went out to Pittsburgh to visit you. And, man, that was a fantastic beer. Dude, I'm seeing more breweries uh, pop up by the minute and exploring ones that I've never even really thought about trying just you know not my style of beer or something like that and just finding all kinds of new avenues and, and great places little uh pittsburgh is 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 um you know we left portland uh you know the beer city and then i had some fun you know touring around uh cincinnati for a bit but pittsburgh's quickly becoming uh one of my favorite even though i live here it should be one of it should be my favorite but it's quickly becoming one of my favorite uh beer cities yeah heck yeah yeah. So uh, speaking of uh, alcohol, though, man, uh, I've got this uh, cab manager group. You know, it's just a bunch of us meet up and we drink beers and talk about, you know, things in the industry that are going on. And we do it in Pittsburgh. We try to get one going in, um, uh, you know, central PA and, you know, kind of get them all over the place. Uh, they're just fun, fun hangs. Well, uh, a couple of the guys uh, in the Pittsburgh chapter with me. Um, we, I mean, we were just having so much fun meeting up and, you know, we were like, well, why are we just focusing on beer? Let's focus on some, some whiskeys and we find out there's quite a few of us in the group that are whiskey. I won't call us connoisseurs, but whiskey enthusiasts. Um, so this summer, you know, that the weather's changing, we have, uh, plans to do a rotational meetup, uh, like once a month or something like that, where we're just going to each other's houses, sitting around the fire pit and trying different, different types of whiskeys and scotches. That's awesome, dude. Heck yeah. That's the yeah. dream right there. Yep, yep. I, uh, gosh, I went to, uh, I think it was St. Louis and I was talking to a couple of our sales guys out there and they actually knew, um, a couple of the clients that, that came to the, the tap tour event that we were doing. 
and they had went in four ways on a bottle of whistle pig the uh the samurai uh samurai bottle and you know they were they were actually going to go back to one of the guys houses to do a tasting for it and i was like oh my gosh i'm like that's that's so awesome when you can develop that kind of relationship where you know you, you just find some like like-minded people who really enjoy the craft of beer or the craft of whiskey and you know you get to share that bottle it's an experience you know it's awesome well, it's an expensive bottle man i'll tell you that but oh, it's definitely I, an expensive bottle i was turned on to whistle pig in of all places uh, at a bar that didn't even sell whistle pig it was um a friend of mine owned the bar it was part owner of the bar and he was opening i lived in a I grew up in a college town in north texas and he was he opened a few other bars and they just went around and you know, try different places. Well, they got invited to uh, the distillery and they went up there and toured the area and they were just like, oh my gosh, like I'm smitten with this. And we had had like a little, you know, tasting in the back. He's like, you guys got to try this, man. Try this, try this. And uh, there's a few of us that, are, you know, um, we're regulars. I don't want to call us, you know, uh, alcoholics, but uh, you know, you're, you're in your 20s. You get, you get a bar you frequent a bit. But anyways, yeah, yeah. you know, we were, we were all friends. We grew up together. And um we tried it, dude, and from right then and there, it's like, dude, I'm smitten with this. This is, you know, this is, this whiskey not only holds special memories to me, but it's just a great freaking uh, whiskey in general. Uh, so every, every, I'm glad you like it too. Every person I tell about it, they're like, wait, what? Never heard of this. Yeah, dude, try it. Yeah, it's great whiskey. It really, really is. I mean, they're six years a good sipper. They're ten year. That twelve years really good. Obviously, that's about as far as I've gone with it. My budget. Uh, says no right around the 15 year you know <laughs> you don't have a thousand bucks man come on <laughs> no dude even if i get a 10 year i feel lucky when i get the 10 year i'm like oh my gosh i could spend a hundred dollars on a bottle yes yeah. you know but <laughs> yeah no i used to spend uh i mean i don't think i'd ever buy the boss hog samurai that's just too much money oh, for me gosh, yeah. but uh if i had a few people to go in with i would i i told you i met um uh somebody who's I don't want to out him here on the podcast, but uh, who's, you know, really into this space. I think he has his own podcast now. Uh, he's big in electric contracting. He told me about a a whiskey meetup that they do. And, you know, they do uh, share bottles and stuff like that. I'm like, dude, we need to get this going. I'm, I want to be on board yeah. with this. Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, so uh, I know everybody, they love uh, our drinking stories and all that fun stuff. But I'm sure everybody <laughs> wants to know what today's episode is about. So uh, you want to do the, the big reveal? I'll do a little bit of drumming. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. We're going to do <laughs> a conversation. We figured, you know, hey, guys, AU is coming up this year. Um, and we've been, you know, the, the call of proposals is done. We've been going through and kind of reviewing some of the sessions this year and there's too many to talk about there's so many good oh Lord. my gosh so we're gonna pick five each that we recommend um that that are at least um interesting to us in in the description right we don't we don't actually know if they're gonna be good or not right we don't we're not fortune tellers yeah. but the topics so are interesting the description's very interesting and there's so many to go through like you know, we, we just try to narrow it down as best we can and five out of like five thousand. It's it's a yeah. it's a hard pick. <laughs> um did you did you wanna start? Did you wanna talk about the Yeah, dude? So and these I'm are in no do... order. They don't have to be your, your ranked one or whatever. Just you okay. Because I'm not ranking no. mine. Like I can't. Okay. I can't All right. I yeah, it'd be hard to uh it'd be hard to rank them. Now I'm gonna do a, a kind of shameless plug here just because uh like that <laughs> our podcast, I, what you want, right i uh 
I have a session, and it is going to be the connected construction with Autodesk Build and Topcon Magna Enterprise. And the reason why I chose that is because we've seen this trend in the industry, right? The uh, connected construction. I did a presentation on it actually just a couple days ago, and I felt pretty good about it. Like, you know, talking about, you know, we have we have a lot of the same conversations in terms of like a single source of truth. And that is great. But at the same time, is that single source of truth meeting all of your project's needs? A lot of times the answer is no, right? So we got to start having those conversations about integrations, right? That that single source of truth's ability to to integrate with those other common data environments or those other pieces of that puzzle to bring that project all together. So I was pretty that, excited about that. And that's important, especially when we think about um, probably one of the foregone or, or you know not really thought of uh, uh, segments of construction, and that's the civil side, right? How are you yep. bringing in civil data into your ACC side of things? Um, you know, Autodesk has the uh, collaboration for Civil 3D, which is part of ABC Pro now. And that's getting revamped to a point, I guess. But um, outside of the design side, you know, where does your where does the, the construction exactly. actually where does connect, that data you know? go? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So we've got to do a little bit better at tying that in. And I feel like your presentation hits home. It's something that we've talked about quite a bit, especially as we've talked about um, talk with heavy civil or just civil in, in general, you know, whether they're surveys or engineers um, leading into this. Right. Where does that data get stored? How do we connect the data? Um, you know, what kind of metrics is each platform capturing? How do we consolidate those metrics, right? Yeah, dude, um, it's that construction information management, man. There you go. That's <laughs> sim, baby. It's all about the sim. All so what, what's sim. your first one? All right, man. Um, I'll start, again, in no particular order. And this one, to me, as somebody who does a lot of work on his house and likes to model stuff, is just something I really am fascinated with because um, – when we talk about the topic, people are like, wait, what? Why would you waste all the, the effort in that? But it, it really is um, uh, very beneficial. And here's and so anyways, the topic is BIM for residential developers. And it's done by Daniel Kay of Evolve Labs. Um, and it's, you know, AutoCAD and Revit uh, talking about automation, uh, you know, BIM and model coordination, all that sort of stuff. To me, it really drives it home because, um Home builders, people don't think about this, but like you look at a subdivision, how much repeatable pieces are there, right? They're sharing floor plans amongst it. Well, they're sharing materials as well. They're sharing so much stuff. But as long if we have all that data, we're able to better uh, estimate. Uh, we're able to, um, you know, come up with more strategic layouts and better use uh, our land and all that sort of stuff in, in our space. I don't know, man. I feel like there's just so much that we could touch on. And actually, crazy. At, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to round it off by saying and actually talk about um, uh, the the future use case of the home. I mean, passive houses is becoming a big thing. But if you can do all your energy analysis on your on your model, as if you've got a model of it, like you can plug that information and make your 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 uh, residential development that much more appealing. Oh, dude. I mean, in all honesty, I I was actually thinking about this actually just this morning, but in the sense of. Uh, just connecting consumers to that uh, construction kind of technology in the sense of, man, I'm, I'm walking around my house, you know, I, we have conversations with uh, Ryan over at Pix4D and we, you know, we talk about scanning quite a bit and talk, you know, we do a lot of 
our home projects ourselves. We're, we're the DIY guys, right? <laughs> we, 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 if we don't know, we're going to learn it. We're going to figure it out. Um, but a lot of times I find myself like kind of thinking about how that construction technology is coming back into that consumer world and how we can make that tie, um, especially with residential, right? If you're making upgrades, you're doing updates to your house, um, being able to start even from a scan and, and being able to kind of model it and, and be able to get an idea of your budget, right? That's a huge thing for homeowners. And another piece on that I wanted to kind of touch on was if we can actually get some kind of model, even as a residential homeowner, right, where a lot of people might not think this is beneficial, but stay with me here for a second. If we can take a model, if you give me an actual model that can give me the energy analysis and all of that data can come with it. When I go to make a change as, as you know, the owner of this property, if I'm actually telling you a little story background here, I've recent been, recently been looking into uh, solar power for my house, right? Been trying to figure out how to take down some of these uh, energy Tell everybody bills. why. Tell, yeah, tell everybody <laughs> why. Dude, I, I've been, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I'll tell you. So um, I've recently learned that a 5,000 square foot house is very, very expensive to heat in the winter. And especially when they're, you know, um, gas and electric furnaces. Um, my electric bill shot up to seven, $800 a month. And, you know, at that point as a homeowner, I am def desperately trying to find solutions, you know, to lower my home bill. But I also need, um, you know, every salesman is gonna come to you and say they can help you out, right? They'll all give you these pieces of paper and say this this could potentially help your bill. This could potentially do this. Um, but nobody really has any concrete data until you actually try to hook it up. And, and then we go through the system and you kind of find out on the receiving end, right? A few months down the road or a year, let's say, after you've kind of stabilized to figure that out. Imagine if you could actually analyze that data before you even made the purchase. If I'm going to spend forty dollars to $100,000 um, on a solar system for my property, how is it going to benefit what I have? Is it going to benefit what I have? Or is it the proper way? Is it the best thing to do? Like essentially, I start thinking about the order, right? An order of processes. And I, I think about that with every project that I have. I start breaking it down into, you know, those individual pieces and and eventually trying to figure out the best way to complete the project, right? And I mean, if you can have all that data for the materials, the quantities, or if you can analyze that, put a solar system onto the house with its current energy and, you know, actually get numbers on that and see how it's going to affect or you're going to change glass, right? I mean, I don't, <laughs> living in Oregon, I can't tell you how many people I, uh, I had come up to my house that sold windows, Right. And everybody will tell you this is going to save you thousands of dollars. But if I could have a model that actually showed me, hey, this is your house. This is your house with these windows. This is what it's currently analyzing. This is what it's seeing. This is what happens when you change that. I mean, in all reality, why shouldn't we try to start bringing the commercialism into that residential air, you know, area? Why can't we think about homeowners like a building owner? I mean, if you think about it, yeah, that, that home's not making a lot of money, but that home is going to grow. If a family, you know, moves into a home, they, they're constantly making changes to make it theirs, right? 
So well, it holds it holds even more value than the financial implications. It's got an emotional attachment. I'm going to live in this house. This is my house. You know, I would pay X amount of money for a, a model of it and be able to to do the analysis on it and what you know whatever. Like it, it is it is more important to me and easily more easily justifiable for me to do this than um, you know if I owned a you know mixed use place or something like that but this is my this is mine i'm emotionally attached and invested in it yep i completely agree and i think it's i think it's a great area for bim to kind of really to embrace bim you know we've seen the matterports and stuff like that starting to make its way into real estate right the scanning has as starting giving giving the person who's looking at an apartment or a home a 3D model that they can actually navigate through, spin around, or a scan. You know, it's very, very beneficial. But we're starting to see that you know the owner value of it is there as well, not just for the design, but the transition of that data afterwards. Yeah, dude, I'm excited for that session as well. That that was a good one. So my second one is uh, I, I I really love the title, but I also you know this actually can tie into our last conversation there. My assets are all over the place, chaos and order in the asset verse. Um, I, I think that, you know, when you get into construction, tracking assets and even into handover, facilities management, you know, tracking those assets from design into construction into, you know, the translation of handover into ownership and then what the owner does from there I think it's a huge key um, in, into how, of course, BIM excels um, in the construction kind of industry, right? In all reality, if we can if we can keep that data, such as you know whether it's the metadata, it's the 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 ID, you know, for that element, the um, owner's manual information, specs, what have you. If we can keep all of that data tied, whether we're starting in Revit and going to Navis, going up into ACC, um, going, of course, up into build and actually tracking those assets within those models and exporting that out, whether it's Power BI that you're, so you can you know, read reports about what's installed, what's been pressure tested or performance tested, you know, being able to utilize that information. It, you know, we've said it before so many times, but that I in BIM is so important and the way that we manage that data throughout that entire process so we don't have those those gaps right those those gaps in in between design and construction or the the gap in between construction and handover we need to lessen that we need to bridge those right bridge those gaps so i can take a drink here <laughs> chug 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 but we need to bridge those gaps and and i mean i think that's this is another piece you know that asset management is really used by everyone in in the entire project Dude, your I, second? I, well, oh, before before I dive into mine, I, I completely agree. And assets has been one of those sexier topics lately, right? Where we start talking about assets more in BIM outside of a commissioning workflow or a handover workflow, but more in a tracking workflow. So we actually ties into the prefabrication part, which makes, you know, pre, not just prefabrication. Actually, that's that that is the sexy piece. But the piece that I think we're missing the most is um, assets in terms of your construction site, like. Uh, your construction assets, your tools, your people, everything. Like, there's an invaluable ROI to be placed on on these these um you know these these assets. Who's tracking them? Who's you know who's managing that data? Um, 
you know, we have the capabilities now and some of the Autodesk products that I feel like now's the time to, to, to bring it to the light. Yes, completely, dude. I, I completely agree. If that data can continuously be used, I mean, even if it has to go, you know, obviously we know the design, it changes in between conceptual schematic, and then you're looking at construction documentation. Um, we know that the LODs, the process, everything changes during that time. But if we can consistently track those assets during that time, during the actual construction, as things are arriving on site, as they've been installed, their pressure performance tested, you know, as things are happening, even into the actual handover over to the owner, if things have, you know, failed or if things have been repaired, things have been adjusted or replaced, that information, as long as it can keep moving, right, it has to keep moving. As long as it keeps up, I mean, that that information is is valuable. You think about, you know, like you said, Joe, the ROI, man, once you have that data and if you can keep it moving forward, the value that that gives you either just personally, if you're going to stay there and keep building and keep going, or you're going to hand that over to somebody else, man. I can't imagine the feeling of being an owner and coming into a building where all of the assets are tracked digitally. I can see all of the information tied to them. It would, I mean, in all honesty, it would give me that peace of mind to know that I am investing in something good. Dude, a hundred percent. Like if you're going to go the extra mile, like this is a place to go the extra mile in. All right, man. So for my my number two, um, which one to choose next? You know, you know what? I, I'll just go linear here. Yeah, I won't. Uh, I'll just go in order that that I have them up. Um, so this one I just think might be a great class for anybody uh, new to BIM or looking to better understand BIM or all that it encompasses. And this is uh, transform into a building information magician in 90 minutes. Um, so. I feel like it's going to be a very condensed uh, session. Um, you know, it's about some of the pitfalls a BIM manager goes through and how you can uh, um, avoid those pitfalls, get set up, and better enable yourself with tools like BIM Collaborate Pro and uh, run through um, some of the more streamlined workflows and how to streamline uh, processes to your to your uh, company. Man, it's it's I, feel like- I don't know. I'm I'm excited for that one. Yeah, that sounds like a good one, though. I feel like I could be like the David Copperfield of, of BIM, though. Now you see it, now you don't. Introducing yes, everyone, these are visibility graphics. Is it a view template? Is it visibility graphics? <laughs> 11 ways to hide your chair in a Revit model, guys. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Oh. Yeah. So my third one, uh, I had, you know, I had quite a few of these and I was looking at them and I'm this one, I, I really like. This is actually from a coworker, but the reason I really like this one, it ties into my next one as well. It's a comprehensive comparison of drone technology in the civil industry. So, you know, we've been we've been talking about ways of of That's uh Mr. Philbricks, right? It is, yeah. It's yeah, Nate Philbricks, man. Looking man. forward to that one. I am too. He he Nate has done a few presentations in the past I've I've been able to um check out in terms of like using a drone to make volume calculations, using a drone for tracking site progress or tracking um, material as it be, as it's being moved around the site. The dude has a lot of great um, workflows for tracking that data because that's, of course, again, in that CIM, right, that 
that construction information management, all of that is important. If we can start with a drone and fly over our site and, and be able to pick up, you know, the differences, what, what has been cut, what has been filled, you know, that volumetric data, um, being able to pull that back and, and put that into like maybe the scheduling piece for our project, it helps us, you know, <clears throat> as a project overall. Because I know a lot of times when I was working with my design build, um company back in the day we, we they were tying right into the machine control guys seeing when we're breaking ground when we can get you know down to grade for our structure for our footings to start going in when we can start laying pipe you know when we can start putting concrete in and lay out the penetrations it's it, it was it's all it all it's all you know symbiotic it all works at the same time and you know it everybody likes to separate it out into you know the civil information or the the building information, but in all reality, it's all tied together. All those utilities, all that data, the, the building, the the site, it all has to come together in the end. And being able to keep that steady flow of data. And again, I love drones, right? It's it, and again, it's going to lead me right into my next topic. But I love drone technology, and the more that we can bring these drones in um, and analyze, utilize that data, I think it's great. Yeah, I'm a uh, I'm pro drone at this point. I as a GIS guy in the past is like, oh, they're monitoring everything we're doing, but you know, and then drones are flying overhead. But now it's like, dude, it's usable. I love the data. Like, it's great, man. Um, I feel like Nate's got a good handle on, um, you know, introducing this to the to the community and probably some some pointers that uh, even even some uh, experts could probably learn from. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for that one. Um, all right, man, moving down the line, number three for me, um, oh, speaking of GIS, man, um, this is, again, the old, you know, data geek in me here, uh, Power BI to leverage BIM and GIS integration. Um, it's by Mustafa, and I'm not even going to try to butcher the last name, but uh, uh, he's the senior BIM and GIS manager for WSP, and um, he's got this, you know, workflow with uh, ACC, Docs, Forge, Navisworks, you name it. It's everything that's in there. Anytime we can tie BIM and GIS together, I'm happy because when I look at a Revit model, the correlation for me was, oh, this is GIS for a building. Like that was the instant, like the the light switch step, you know, snapped on. It's like, okay, this is just a model representation of a data that we can, you know, with data that we can query for each element. This is perfect. And uh, the further that we can, uh, again, bridge that gap, take a sip. Um, and leverage the data in between both platforms because we typically think of GIS in a uh, um, maybe an owner searching for a new spot or maybe we're talking about government data parcels all that sort of stuff more probably more land focused but but it doesn't have to be you know GIS could be so much more it could be asset tracking it could have assets in it from your from your from your Revit model um, I don't know man there's just so many use cases oh, and applications there are so many excited. well yeah dude and as I mean <clears throat> there are so many assets that are in a construction model if you're tracking heavy machinery equipment if you're tracking trucks as they're coming in as they're dropping materials off or if they're taking materials out right there's yeah. so many different ways to utilize it so the the line that captured me in the description that like instantly hooked me and made me want to uh, jump into this session is uh, the last paragraph it says in this session i will present how i created an information center not just you know bim gis civil 
but an information center that acts as a single source of truth for, for my projects using the interactive connection between Power BI, BIM 360, ArcGIS, trackers, and Excel to facilitate the access uh, of up-to-date data and information for all team members. So not just looking at your team, but all teams that you can provide data to, aggregating data from multiple systems, using built-in tools, leveraging the Power BI, you know, again, big ArcGIS guy, I love it. So tying that in there and, you know, hell, um, tying in these uh, trackers like this. This is freaking awesome. I'm, I'm excited to see what this uh, what this really is about. Yep. Yep. Heck yeah, man. All right. For my you, next... man. Which... Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say my next part was actually um, is VR the future of collaborative coordination, exploring Iris VR's prospect and it's an but... industry talk. Before you start, this is such a, a crucial time to talk about that topic. Autodesk, you know, acquired our buddies over at the Wild um, and brought their, you know, their system is, you know, now ingrained in, in at Autodesk. Um, they're, you know, building in and baking it out and figuring a bunch of stuff out. So, like, it's only going to become more cooler and, and, you know, and more pertinent to talk about. I completely agree, man. And I mean, we just had a podcast talking about it, but if you can enable that VR collaboration space, you know, we were talking about it. Um, it's like, you feel like you're in the model, you're in that space. It is a different type of feeling than spinning a model around on a computer, right? If we can really start enabling our teams, um, with coordination and collaboration through VR with these, these complex models, I think it's awesome, man. You know, one of my big things about BIM 360 that I was really excited about was giving people the opportunity to communicate on the data sooner in the process, right? If you're bringing in a PM or a super or foreman, what have you, um, PE, you know, into the design process sooner, just making them aware, giving them the access to look at the data, look at the sheets, place markups. If you're giving them that, you know, little bit of jump in timing, I feel like it helps the project transition so much smoother and and it's a lot easier when you have that data in front of you and again being coordinated in that VR environment. I think it's awesome because not only is it, you know, it's educational in the sense it's beneficial that you can look at the project. It's also fun. I'm going to add that part in there. It is fun to jump into that VR environment and, you know, walk around. It, I mean, you get to do that as a job. Sign me up. I'm going to go ahead and start navigating all of these. Buildings. Our buddy over at uh, CAD DJM. And that was the whole thing is like, dude, I get to play like video games at work. Like That's what yeah. I do. My headsets <laughs> like, dude. Yeah, that's awesome, man. <laughs> right. Sign me up. <laughs> that's how you make it more appealing to the next generation. Yeah. You like playing Fortnite or whatever you kids are doing. Come check this out. <laughs> right. <laughs> So what's on your what's on your list next, Joe? Right. Well, this one is a, is a personal one for me. Uh, it's been a long thing for you and me, and that's automation with Dynamo. It's for trade contractors too. Uh, this is by uh, Adam uh, Wingerson over at uh, Lighthouse Electric. This guy is a freaking genius. Um, you know him, I know him. Uh, yep. Yep. In fact, we got to get him on the podcast. Love the guy, man. He's freaking awesome. He's here in Pittsburgh. Um, and, you know, it hits close to home for us because we talk about Dino all day long. Uh, and, you know, you and I did the, what is it, the digital works construction thing, and we did the Dynamo roundtable. Um, and I feel like we've been preaching Dynamo to a blue in the face, but at the end of the day, how you make Dynamo 
more appealing to people as you show them use cases specific to them. And I feel like, you know, some some of the people that are really interested in Dynamo are the well, obviously are the subcontractors trying to pick up where Revit leaves off. You know, let's say the software's not every can't do all things for all people. But there's a lot of automation that we can bake into it, you know, whether we're talking about point creation or um, you know, placing elements, all that sort of stuff, um, model checking. Like there's so much stuff we can bake into uh it with Dynamo. And I feel like, uh, you know, Adam's Adam's the guy. Like, if there's anybody that's going to talk about this, Adam's the guy. This is awesome. Heck yeah, man. What's uh, actually, what's your last? Oh, oh uh, no, actually, I was going to say that I got to work with Adam on um, actually a, an electrical like family creation. And some of the Dynamo, um, the Dynamo scripts that he had set up to pull in data such as point data. Um, it was awesome. And I can't wait for his. I can't wait for his session. I think it's going to be really, really educational. Yeah, he he uh, he definitely knows this stuff. He's a good guy. Um, all right, man. What's your what's all your right. last one? So my yeah. last one was actually it was a little bit different. It kind of ties into our residential conversation, but it's the digital transformation for multi-site owners. And this actually includes Tandem, BIM 360 Docs, or Autodesk Docs. Forge and Revit. And the reason why I, I kind of picked this one, it really drew my eyes because you're seeing, um, of course, multi-site owners, they have a lot of unique challenges. And you're seeing um, design technology lead from Chick-fil-A, uh, senior pre-construction manager from Amazon, uh, head, head of design at Compass Coffee. And then I think that might be it. But essentially, there's there's a few different managers. A couple of those companies are huge, right? To be able to get an idea of how they're managing the, the data, the digitization of their data, and what they're doing, because you think about some of these companies um, even engaging in um, spaces where there are multiple owners, or um, if you're working on a project like a site, like a, a strip mall or something like that, and there's going to be multiple you know, owners going through their multiple um, expectations to be met, right? I'm kind of curious. Uh, oh, and Victolic, actually, I'm sorry. Victolic is also in that conversation. Um, so, you know, there's going to be a lot of good conversations about VDC practices, but I'm just curious to see how um, they're managing this data, how the multiple, you know, site owners, how do they collaborate, how do they coordinate to really benefit the entire project? And I'm looking at, you know, understanding how that digital twin concept can be extended and essentially manipulated for those unique needs of the multi-site owners. I'm excited to learn more about Tandem and, and all that sort of oh, stuff, yeah. man, the digital twin. Like, that's just, that's so great. Like, you know, we got kind of the sneak peeks and stuff, but I feel like there's so much more digging we could do. Oh, I completely agree. What's your last one? All right, my last one. So like I'm bouncing between. I've got like four open tabs and I'm like, do I say this one? Do I say this one? Do this one? I've been going back and forth for about an hour now, like trying to like, you know, decide. And I'll, I'll tell you the ones it's not first. I'll just tell you some of my runner ups and I'll give you reasons why. Um, building a better BIM team, recruit, train and evaluate and repeat. Uh, Logan Jacobs, another Lighthouse uh, um, alum there. He, uh, he, you know, when COVID's going on, like he's building a robust team out you know, uh, evaluating people's needs and training. And I feel like that's an important topic, especially to you and me, as we talk about training in the industry, um, uh, you know, lagging and how we standardize and, you know, we, we 
uh, groom people to get into construction and, and, you know, just make it so um, enticing for the next generation, but also um, get those people that were out in the field that maybe don't want to be out in the field or were injured or whatever. And just, you don't want to lose that knowledge. Those people are amazing in the BIM VDC capacity. How do you make the transition? There's just so much more and it's an exciting, exciting uh, uh, thing to think about. So it's not that one, but it is, that is one I'm excited for. Another one that I'm excited for uh, is Jared Chrisman, uh, who's, you know, a big name over at uh, NECA. He, He's part of a, a, a NECA podcast, I guess, Electric. Now, you know, that's their uh, spinoff. Uh, our buddy uh, Josh Bone over there. Um, well, anyways, Jared Chrisman, guy's whiz on the electrical side. His whole thing is about electrical prefabrication, the path from failure to prefabrication. Again, not it, but a good runner-up. Um, I've got one more runner-up that I just want to mention. Uh, and this guy, I, I, don't, I don't know why I'm focusing. These are all electrical now I'm looking at it. Uh, Mike Kella. Uh, he was at um, ah, blanking on the large electrical company out of Wisconsin. Anyways, there was a large electrical contractor out of Wisconsin. He was with them for a while, and that's where I met him. I met him at AU probably like four years ago. Well, he's doing a session on supporting prefabrica- prefabrication and productization using dynamic Revit content. Um, and he built this amazing platform out through Forge. Um, he, the guy's a whiz, so I'm excited to see what this is about. But again, not it. So where I landed from my number five, man, uh, it's it's uh, optimize and digitize your job site logistics, leveraging BIM data, uh, Francesco Romolo. Um, and it's, you know, you and I talk about logistics a lot. And we've talked a lot about how BIM plays an important part in logistics, but it's actually something we don't account for. And it's something we need to start accounting for. So I'm, I'm really excited for this session because I feel like it, it's not only going to open the door, uh, you know, for us to talk about it more, but it's going to, you know, help us iron out some of the tweaks. Uh, so like uh, they're presenting a Revit plugin they created with Autodesk Consulting uh, to show how they did this with uh, BIM data and IoT crane sensors. And you know what this made me think of? Like instantaneously, uh, Rene Morcos over at Alice Technologies, um, his platform, what he's doing, you know, how we can feed this data in there and, you know, make algorithms smarter and just think about stuff like it's it's so cool. Like I'm I'm excited. Construction. Yeah, right. I'm so excited for for this topic. And I guess that's why I chose this one over the other ones. I you know, those are those are my close runner ups. Uh, I'm still going to we'll put links to them and and on our Web page and our write up. Um, But uh, this this optimize um, and digitize your job site logistics just, you know, with BIM data just makes so much sense. It's it's the next evolution that we need to really start talking about. Heck yeah. Well, hey, man, I think, uh, you know, that's five and five. I feel like uh, those are five pretty solid ones. It was hard to limit it because I wanted to veer off into the automotive and the automation and the oh, manufacturing. Oh, yeah, dude. There were and tandem like, classes no, no, no. that I wanted to talk about, build Stay classes. I'm like, oh, man, yeah, right? <laughs> All right, brother. Well, uh, I got to get back to work, man. Uh, this has been fun. Uh, somewhat productive. Got to drink uh, you know, a little bit of alcohol during the day and get some stuff done. But um, thank you all for listening. And uh, if you have a favorite AAU session or one you're looking forward to, one you want to promote, shoot us a link. Yep, we'd love to promote them. Definitely.